Welcome to another edition of VLGA Connect. I'm really pleased to have with us on this episode, Victoria's Cross-Border Commissioner, Luke Wilson. Hello, Luke, and welcome. Hi, Chris. Thank you for the invitation. No, thank you for agreeing, because I know it's a really busy time for you with lots of cross-border issues to be dealing with, and we'd like to get some insights into that. understand you've been in the role for nearly two years, and it's the first time Victoria's had a cross-border commissioner, you were saying? Yeah, that's right. So we started October 2018. Um, it was modelled on the the commissioner that's in New South Wales. New South Wales, I think, has had theirs since about 2011. Right. But the uh, yeah, Victoria's one came out of uh, some recommendations out of the Mallee Regional Partnership, which um, I think we're reflecting on experience of the New South Wales model. Okay, so obviously well prior to COVID, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that the value of the role is, is really being seen at the moment, but back then, what was the driving reasoning behind the need for a cross-border commissioner? Yeah, the premise was um, to try and deal with and, and pick apart the, a lot of the anomalies that people experience when they're living on, on a border, um, indeed on any border. So uh, I think at that original time, a lot of that was about uh, business regulation, you know, multiple licenses, ticketing, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, which, and you know, you could, there is enough of that type of anomaly, you could just work on that alone. Yes. Um, but as it turned out, it, it's, um, it, it's a much broader range of anomalies. And, and also, um, I think, not just anomalies, which are perhaps the, the negative side, but also some opportunities that we've seen around the border um, for you know, better collaboration. So the aim is harmonisation in a sense of those, those things. Yeah, yeah, ha harmonisation. Some would say harm minimisation, but uh, <laughs> right. yeah, no, it's often about uh, to the extent possible, can we get some harmony between either the rules or the way services are, are provided? Flash forward uh, nearly two years uh, in the middle of, of COVID-19, I bet you never thought you'd be dealing with the sorts of cross-border issues that must be challenging you right now. Yes, it was uh, definitely not on the work plan, um, both uh, this and, and in fact, prior to COVID through Christmas, a lot of the time was spent on the border area fires. Right. Um, and dealing with some of the cross-border experience there. Um, but yeah, since March, uh, just about all of the, what you might call BAU for me, has been on the, the back burner yeah. uh, and just dealing with the, the border restrictions. So I guess that takes us back, what, 120 years to you know, the, the colonial days when we, we did have borders and custom houses and, and all that sort of yeah. thing. So I'm not sure whether you've done any calculations, but it's a big catchment, obviously, the border, and you'd be dealing with both South Australian issues and New South Wales issues, I assume. Yeah. That's a lot of, for our local government audience, that's a lot of municipalities, a lot of mayors, a lot of CEOs, I assume, that are right. wanting to talk to you about um, helping out in this time. Yeah, that's right. There's, uh, I think, a good dozen... Uh border uh, councils. I also have to check that count because I have to yeah. count um, Mildura twice, yes. given it uh, has the joy of two borders. Um, yeah. But there's also then, that there's those that touch the border, but even, even the ones a little bit back can be affected by it. So a, a significant part of the job is interacting through LGAs um, and, and not just the ones in Victoria. So it includes also the ones in South Australia, New South Wales. Yes. Um, because whilst I'm Victoria's cross-border commissioner, I think 
the way you have to approach this is you're really working for border communities and border communities by their nature are on both sides of wherever the magic line is. Yeah. So you, you, um, you kind of can't really draw too strong a distinction about you know, whether you're on this side or that side. So what has your approach been to the current set of issues that people are telling you are issues that need some working through at the moment? How are you, how are you going about it? Yeah, so with the, the current issues around the restrictions, it's um, the role, it, it's, it actually matches the original intent of the role, which is advocacy. Um, so at the moment, it's, uh, you know, taking the various and the many anomalies that arise from these restrictions and um, trying to pick them apart and work out exactly, you know, which, which bit of the a border restrictions causing them. And then working on a model to advocate for changes. And that sometimes that can be um, at a very individual level for particularly acute situations. But more often it's more about, um, could be a sectoral issue or a, you know, a particular type of issue that just repeats. Um, and so it's really about advocating both back into Melbourne to get the relevant agencies at a state level to understand the issues and then back across to the other jurisdictions. So, um, and, and I think we've found what works here is a, we're just calling multiple pathway advocacy, which is a very fancy word for um, You've got to talk just to saying, <laughs> but it's, it's not just me talking to a counterpart. Yeah. So obviously I, I raise issues with my New South Wales counterpart, but it's also about saying, well, the relevant agency for this issue might be, let's say, um, the uh, ambulance service, and we have you know have a, an issue with ambulances at the border. So rather than just me talk to my counterpart, we also need the ambulance service to talk to its counterpart service, because it is highly likely that an issue being experienced on this side is also an issue on the other side. And so if we can get the advocacy going up those you know in that case two pathways at once, you're far more likely to get an impact. Yeah. Um, and then also spreading that out, and this is the the local government. Um, angle that that is also happening between local governments along the borders where they are talking to one another and sharing their intel and also advocating in, in both directions for changes. So if I could ask you to do a bit of self-assessment of all of that, how do you feel it's working? How effective are the mechanisms that are in place being in dealing with these, these issues? As they yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's um, we've certainly achieved quite a bit of change through these restrictions um, with you know, adjustments to the way permits are issued or the, you know, going back to the start on the New South Wales, it was even just getting a lot of bridges opened. Um, however, you also, you're in an environment here where the rules on border restrictions seem to change every fortnight. So we go through this cycle where, you know, we, we successfully prosecute a change and then two weeks later, it feels like you're having to re-prosecute the same issue because another set of rules has come over the top. And that's, that's one of the characteristics of this environment that on both borders, particularly since June, the rate of change and, and reissuing of orders has been so great that yeah. um, it, it can sometimes be a little bit demoralising, but you just got to keep going. I was going to say, that must be frustrating, not just for you, but everyone. And I imagine every time that happens, you've got a mirror or a CEO on the phone from the council saying, What's going on? Well, yeah, and I, I think there's a great learning for um, yeah, the 
New South Wales and South Australia that I think they're, um, the degree to which they've engaged with people like local government has been really poor in the design of these restrictions. Right. And so as a result, you get, um, you know, you get some outcomes on the ground that just don't make any local sense. And the, the need for that local engagement is, is just so, I mean, it's almost, it's really obvious with these sort of rules where they're, they're designed in a hurry. Now they are meant to be restrictive. They are restrictions. So it's yeah, um, good point. Meant to, they're clearly meant to have an effect, but the yeah. way they've sort of been laid out and the way the geography has been mapped, um, you know, leaves a lot of people just scratching their heads and just even a modicum of consultation with local governments as that really valuable source of on-ground intel and local intel would have just probably washed away at least 50% of those issues had that been done. But because we've had this repeating pattern of it not being done, um, that's where it can be feel quite frustrating for all concerned that we're having to relitigate these very, you know, very almost simple issues over yeah. and over. So uh, that was going to be my last question to you. And it sounds like that would be a key learning from this. So I was thinking, you know, what would you want to take out of this experience uh, going forward for preparing for future, God forbid we have them, future crises of this nature that affect the cross-border relations? Yeah, and I think the um, the investment in those cross-border relationships is um, is one that's really bearing out. And and that that's an observation and a recommendation that I'd, been generating pre-COVID that the relationships between um, in, in the ones I'm often looking at are state agencies, but the relationships between each other um, are, are a bit hit and miss. And so when these sort of situations come up, um, even going back to that advocacy model, we're finding state agencies are having to find out who their counterpart agency is across the border. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, you can do that now, but it's not the best environment to do it. If we pre-invested in those, um, it would just make uh, some of this work so much more efficient. And then the other thing is the, um, the connection with local government, because local governments, I, I haven't come across a local government that does not have at least a, a pretty solid connection with its neighbouring local government. I mean, it just makes sense that they would. So there's a there's a pre-existing relationship you can you can use if you don't have your own. Um, but again, I, I I think what we've seen is the particularly where the decision makers are a long way away, such as Sydney. Um, it, it seems to not even occur to them to use those pre-existing sources of connection and information well I, I do hope there will be mechanisms for feeding that sort of uh, that sort of input through as we move out of this to uh, to, to set the system up I, I guess more effectively yeah. for future I think we're out of time I heard some beeping there someone probably needs you to try and uh, address a cross-border issue so we really appreciate your time speaking with us and I wish you uh, every success as you move your way through whatever's left in front of us with this situation yeah, I'm sure there's more to come. So but look, thanks very much for the opportunity, Chris. Great to meet you. Great to speak with you. Luke Wilson, the Cross-Border Commissioner for Victoria, joining us on VLGA Connect. <laughs>